Well, here we are at podcast 11 of the third series of the Haiku P podcast. If you've not visited with us before, I'm Patricia, and you are most welcome here. Today, I'd like to talk a little bit about brevity and its role in the English language version of the Japanese short form that we all love. I'll bring you the latest from the Renku, and I hope at the end you'll enjoy a visit from Ronald Toby, who'll be reading us some of his work. As you know, I recently recorded a few podcasts on the topic of the essence of haiku. I'm sure I'll return to the topic many times. I have to address all the feedback that you've given me and delve deeper into the topic. But for now, I want to turn to the idea of brevity. I thought long and hard about whether brevity is an element of the essence of haiku, but in the end I decided it wasn't. Craig Kittner put it very well in the Haiku Foundation's Haiku Dialogue when he said, by definition, a haiku is brief. And when you think about it, how can it not be? Whilst poets writing in many other genres of poetry can write as freely as they wish, we, who have chosen haiku and senryu, have a limit. That limit depends on who you ask. Clayton Beach, for example, suggests 12 to 15 syllables could be a comfortable average for English language haiku. At the risk of controversy, I'm going to say that whilst I believe we no longer have to conform to the 575 format, as an editor, I prefer haiku and senryu to be no longer than 17 syllables. But you know, we can create work that is far more compact. How far should we go in condensing our work? Michael Dillon Welsh says, Haiku needs to be short whilst communicating clearly saying what needs to be said, thus to be as short as necessary. Now I first started to think about brevity when Craig Kittner, whilst the editor of the Haiku Dialogue last year, invited poets to condense their poetry. I've tried to develop that sense of brevity in my own work ever since, or should I say that I prefer a minimalist approach whilst not creating very short haiku just for the sake of it. A haiku should make sense. You want to communicate with some readers, don't you? To quote Clayton Beach again, while simplicity and brevity are fine goals in any poetic tradition, these will mean different things to different poets, and one certainly cannot judge the quality of a coup by its syllable count or the bare simplicity of its diction. Let's consider some brief haiku. I'd like to read you one from the haiku dialogue Brevity Post, that I've mentioned before. It's from Ajay Agye Ba. Into its whistle, speeding train. Now this verse has a bundle of techniques in a well-considered monoku. Not only does it have an aha moment, at least for me, but it has a pleasing rhythm and movement. I hope you'd like to hear more, because I've been doing a bit of reading. From Frog Pond, issue 43-2, by M. Shane Pruitt. Falling snow, the grey clouds forgotten. I kept coming back to this verse, enjoying the elements of it. The childlike joy of the experience of falling snow, making one forget those miserable grey clouds. The play of movement from the downward falling snow, and the view upward to the clouds the juxtaposition of the white snow 
and the grey clouds, and the sound of the Fs at the beginning and the end, which just seemed to tie it all together. The next one is from Tanya MacDonald, also from Frog Pond. Red light, flexing his muscle car. Alongside the visual element of this monocou, I love the risque and humorous nature of it, and I thought it had a strong juxtaposition. And this by Roger Watson from the Wales Haiku Journal. Rusting roof, the moon trickles through. There are a number of reasons I enjoyed this one. The surprise of the word trickle when applied to the moon. The rhythm of the oo sound, roof, moon, through. The juxtaposition of the rusting roof and the moon coming through it. And for me, the choice of words is important in this one. The roof had to be rusting in order that the moon trickled rather than shone through it. And lastly, this one from me, from Sonic Boom. The birdsong of things lost. I want to use this to segue into something I'd like to do next month. I'd like to look at the editing process to refine our haiku and senryu into that piece of work that is as short as necessary and to consider the point at which we stop before the work becomes obscure and really hard to understand. Now that piece of work is one that I really enjoyed writing and I'm quite proud of it and grateful of course to Sonic Boom for accepting it. But I think it came very close to the borders of obscurity. I don't think everyone who reads it will think, yeah, I get that. But, as always, I hope enough people will have an understanding of the work, even if it's not the same understanding I had when I wrote it. Next month, let's think about brevity and the editing process. Let's have a bit of a workshop. I'll put a couple of my unfinished haiku on the show notes, some that are too long, at least I feel that they're too long. Have a look and see if you can shorten them, but, but keep them understandable. Alternatively, if you have an example from your own work that you can demonstrate the evolution of the haiku from something too long to something a bit more compact, send me that. Send your work via email and let's see if we can get some practice at editing. Deadline should be the 20th of June, please. Check out the show notes for those haiku of mine. Now I'd like to read you the latest from the Renku. My thanks as always to the poets who are writing this with me. Paddy White, Wendy C. Bialek, James Young, Robert Horobin, Pat Gear, Giddy Nielsen Sweep, Jonathan Roman, Nikki Gutierrez, Hemapriya Chalapan, Ian Speed, David J. Kelly and Craig Kidner. To find out who wrote which verse, check out the show notes and all will be revealed. Here we go then. Beggar, palms up, facing the sun. A passing dog smells the soles of his shoes. Immigrants' dreams in cement standing. Rain clouds gathering, no bed at the hostel. Stone epitaphs. My tomb is bigger than yours. All are dead. Gargoyles grin 
as they piss on the fallen. Seeing his breath, only the living can feel the cold. A ray of light, rage thaws the frost. Moonlight calm sets daylight frenzy, dawn chorus. Butcher bird sings the morning in, I'm no longer alone. Slow day, the peach tree blooms in his cup. The rhythm of coins determines his future. The stars unseen this city night. This windy darkness, a plastic bag floats even higher. The moon can't reverse a rising tide. Just before sunrise, he catches only one fish. Pennywort, richer for a journey on the river's bank. Drawn by the smoke, cops douse his cook fire. Overabundant, castaways in the mud under bridges. Thank you very much to all of you for helping me to tell this story. But there's still a little bit left, so come back next month. Next, I'd like to introduce Ronald Toby to you. He sent me a submission that didn't fit with the topics we're covering this year. But I was intrigued by the work, and having read his bio and seen that he was into video and spoken poetry, I thought he might be an excellent candidate to read us some of his work. Ron spent his professional career in California and now lives on a farm in West Virginia, where he and his wife raise cattle and keep goats and horses. And today, we're going to experience a little bit of his life through his haiku. Welcome to the podcast, Ron. Thank you for the introduction, Patricia. The context of my haiku is farming in West Virginia and the three overlapping but distinct worlds in which I live. The village, agriculture, and nature. Most days when working, I think about animal welfare and simply enjoy the pleasure of living in beautiful mountain country. I don't think about the village or nature. Occasionally, events enforce those two worlds onto my consciousness. Each haiku describes such a moment. I write in traditional 575 haiku because haiku poems are built on imagery rather than syntax and wordplay. Knowing the form, readers can anticipate the structure and parts of the haiku and quickly grasp the images and feel the mood and moment described in the poem. I will first read the poem then discuss what happened, followed by a second reading of the poem. Here's the first poem. Half-light, moonscape, snow. Deer, rabbit trails, thread through woods. Red fox holds my breath. In this first poem, an overnight spring snow, like dust on fingerprints, reveals the tracks of animals in their nocturnal activity. In that moment, I see the natural 
predator-prey relationship as it was acted out earlier. The tracks are so clear and fresh, not hidden by blown snow or melt, that I hold my breath in anticipation of the outcome, seeing it through the fox's concentration on the rabbit. Here's that poem again. Half-light, moonscape, snow. Deer, rabbit trails, thread through woods. Red fox holds my breath. Now the second poem. Wisps of deer scent rise. Farm dog barks at first sunlight. Bare fields, golden brome. In this second poem, the natural world is revealed to me by another trail I cannot perceive, the trail of scent a deer leaves as it walks or runs. Our dog has a sense of smell 10,000 times more powerful than humans. She alerts us if a deer is near the house, but usually minutes after the deer has passed by. This delayed timing happened so often that my wife and I suspected she might not recognize a deer if she saw one without smelling it. We did observe this behavior several times. It took our dog over one and a half years living on the farm to recognize deer by sight and bark at them before she could smell them. Deer walk down from the ridgetops at dawn and twilight, crossing our hillside farm to drink creek water and graze grass in the fields. In early spring, before green grass regrows, yellow straw, the golden broom, is visible among the grass stubble. The deer are not there. Here it is a second time. Wisps of deer scent rise. Farm dog barks at first sunlight. Bear fields, golden brome. Now the third and last poem. Goats shaking in fear. Large dog prowls creek in field near. With shotgun, I stand. In this third poem, the village world intrudes dangerously on my farm world. I was giving the goats their morning feeding. They ignored the feed, very rare. All four focused their gaze down the slope to the nearby creek. The lead goat, a nanny, stood about ten feet in front of the rest of the little herd. Her entire body was violently shaking fear. As lead goat, she was standing her ground to protect the herd from something. I looked where she was looking. I felt my empathy swell up for her. A large dog, probably abandoned by village owners, was prowling along the creek. Dogs are the most dangerous predators for goats and other small livestock. The goat's fear revealed the village world's nearness. I went back to the house to retrieve my shotgun, then stood with it 
between the goats and the dog. I watched until the dog, fortunately, left the vicinity in about 30 minutes. Here is that last poem again. Goats shaking in fear. Large dog prowls creek in field near. With shotgun, I stand. I hope you have enjoyed my poems. Thank you for inviting me to participate in your podcast. Ron, the pleasure was all mine, and I hope you all enjoyed hearing haiku being read aloud by another haiku voice. I know I have another reading in the making, but I would love to hear you all reading your work to us. If you'd like to give a five-minute reading, just get in touch and we can work out the details. Before I go, a couple of reminders and an apology. Let's start with the apology. I said in the last podcast my neck is not 100% and I can't get through the volume of work that I would normally, so I'm really sorry, but it's taking me longer to reply to emails at the moment. And I'm prioritising, so if you've sent me a Voyages submission and you haven't heard back, I'm just finishing off the ageing podcast and then I promise I'll get to you. The other thing is that I'm using dictation and for some reason I'm missing mistakes from time to time. So if something's looking odd, it's just me messing up. And a reminder that our next deadline is the 1st of July and the topic is voyages. Emails only, please. Thank you as always for joining me and for keeping in touch with your feedback. Please join me again on the 15th of June for a special podcast on ageing. And of course, I hope you'll join me in the workshop ready for next time. Emails by the 20th of June, please. So until next time, keep writing. If you check out the show notes and find something missing, just drop me an email and I'll sort it out. Ciao.